to learn Chinese. Well, just to tell you, I was here a year, and the congregation, in their wisdom, decided to give me a Teach Yourself Mandarin CD DVD. Needless to say, the cellophane is still on it. Uh, so I might even give it to you as a wee present for you. <laughs> anyway, so Aaron, would you like to hear, and I hope they're not going to say Happy New Year, would you like to say, hear how Chinese people say Happy New Year in Chinese? Okay. Okay. So can we get a volunteer? Sheikh, can you come? <laughs> and if we've got other nationalities and other languages, could you maybe come down and represent? How would you say Happy New Year in, is it Mandarin you speak? Cantonese. <laughs> How would you say? Well, you do the Cantonese one. How would you say Happy New Year in Cantonese? Sunny Philo. Sunny Philo. Okay, congregation after three. Happy New Year. Good. Can we have a volunteer who can speak Mandarin? On you come. Are you impressed, Esther? So your name is? Uh, Yu Yu. Yu Yu. You come over here and you tell me how you would say Happy New Year in Mandarin. Okay. Mm. That's good. One, two, three. Thank you. Is that, is that Cantonese? Okay. Okay. We've got some. Spanish people, I think, today. A volunteer in Espanol. We'll also do one in Northern Irish. <laughs> okay. Japan. Can we have a Gaelic speaker? Oh, well, no, we'll get... Uh, Catherine, you come and do Gaelic. Okay, we'll do Spanish. Feliz Año Nuevo. <laughs> Feliz Año Nuevo. Feliz Año Nuevo. Nuevo. Congregation. We move over to Japan. And Happy New Year in Japanese. Akemashite omedeto. Akemashito emamato. あけまして <laughs> <laughs> but if you were from South Uist or Ness? Blanurva. So just change the words around. So we'll do plain of hour. After one, two, three. No. Ah! Dutch! <laughs> Come on, Nanda. Here we stand. We're just showing off the different nationalities we've got in the congregation. <laughs> Uh, oh yeah. One, two, three. Gelukkig nieuwjaar. 
Gelukkig nieuwjaar. Taiwanese. And does anyone speak Irish garlic? No. It's really close to the Mandarin. It's sing something like sing then kwai lo. Sing then kwang lo. So after three. Who? Paul! <laughs> we'll be doing the benediction in a minute. <laughs> Paul, do you speak? I can do Bengali. Bengali? Will that do? Yeah. Okay. Super Nuton Bochor. Sunod Buton Nochor. After three. One, two, three. Okay, choose one that you've remembered and all the different nationalities and languages represented after three. This is the big noise. One, two, three. Big hand to our volunteers. What? Okay, so we missed out on the Russian, and uh, Andrew from Southern Ireland would have done Irish garlic. But anyway, we did quite well. So let's just pray. Lord, we thank you that we can wish one another a happy new year. And we know, Lord, that you're with us in every step of every journey and every year. Lord, and as we reflect on um, your goodness to us, we also know that many of us today are going through trials of different kinds. And uh, we pray, Lord, that you'd be with such, whether it be those who have recently had bereavement in their family, those who have had news of illness, uh, Lord, and those who might be having difficulties in work or in study. Lord, there are so many things that cause us to be burdened and troubled, yet your word tells us to cast all our burdens upon you because you're able to take these burdens because your yoke is easy and your burden is light and you, are, you care for us. So we pray, Lord, that we would have faith as our, uh, uh, in times of trouble because we will be tested at one time or another. So bless everyone here. And we especially remember uh, Murdo, our elder, who's still very ill, as we know, and we pray your blessing upon him and uh, his family. We thank you, Lord, for uh, new people who have moved into our area, new people have come to our church. We thank you for them, Lord, and we thank you for the family that is Sterling Free Church. We pray that you'd continue to bless us and keep us. We also uh, thank you for friends who have joined us from other places. And we thank you for those who helped yesterday at the fundraiser for the students. And uh, we thank you for all the crafts and cakes and everything that was made by the students, Lord, to raise that money. So, Lord, we commit our ways and our days to you. And we pray that you'd bless our time together today. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to read God's word today. We're going to continue in our study of um, Exodus, and we're in Exodus chapter 17. 
this journey of uh, faith as they made their way towards the promised land. So we read there uh, that all the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages according to the commandment of the Lord and camped at Rephidim. But there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore the people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water, and the people grumbled against Moses and said, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt, to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried to the Lord, What shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, Pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you stuck, struck the Nile, and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah, because of the quarreling of the people of Israel, and because uh, they tested the Lord by saying, Is the Lord among us or not? Then Amalek came and fought with Israel at Rephidim, so Moses said to Joshua, Choose for us men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses told him and fought with Amalek, while Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. Whenever Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed, and whenever he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands grew weary, so they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it while Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side. So his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, Write this as a memorial in a book and recite it in the ears of Joshua, that I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called the name of it, The Lord is my banner saying, A hand upon the throne of the Lord, the Lord will, war, will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. Amen. May God bless to us that reading from his own holy word. Well, we're going to turn back to Exodus chapter 17 just for a short time today. And uh, as I said, it's been a couple of weeks since we've been in Exodus. As you know, I've been uh, I'd cause to be back in use uh, as my father wasn't well, so please keep praying for him. So remember in chapter 15 uh, of Exodus, we read that uh, after the crossing of the Red Sea, uh, the, uh, the Israelites came to a place called Mara, uh, uh, and the water there was undrinkable. And they grumbled against Moses, and Moses cried out to the Lord God for help. And remember, the Lord instructed Moses to throw a certain log into the water and it became sweet uh, and it was the Lord's provision for them they were able to drink the water it was no longer bitter but sweet however as they continued on their journey uh, they came to Elam uh, they made their way to Elam towards the de desert of sin the children of Israel continued not praising God but grumbling against Moses and against his brother Aaron but in effect, they were really complaining against the Lord God himself. Yet, in all the grumbling and all the complaining, the Lord God provided for them manna from heaven. 
And here again, despite all that provision, all that blessing, again we witness the rebellion and their attitude of rebellion against God and His grace. So today, three headings, um, easy to remember. So next week I'll ask you what were the headings you remembered because I'm going to give you a wee illustration. Have you noticed how microphones only count to two? Testing, testing, one, two. Testing, testing, one, two. You've seen that done so often. Well, today our first heading is testing, one, and our second heading is testing, two. And our third heading is triumph. So first of all, testing, one. And here we see uh, testing man. God tests man. At the very beginning in verse one, we see that the Israelites continued their journey through the wilderness in response to God's command. But we read when they arrived at this place called Rephidim, near Mount Sinai or Mount Horeb, interchangeable, they discovered not that the water was bitter, but actually there was no water at all. And of course the Lord had led them there. And surely in the light of previous experiences, they should have said, well, we need to just wait on the Lord because he will provide for us. He changed the water that was bitter to sweet water. He gave us manna from heaven and quails. Uh, he's done so much for us. He's protected us. But no, despite not lacking evidence of God's goodness in times of trouble in the past, again, they lacked faith. And God really was testing them. We see in Psalm 81, the Lord God said of Israel, I tested you at the waters of Meribah. And of course, he had tested them prior to this. We see that in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 8. He gave you manna to eat in the desert, something your fathers had never known, to humble you and to test you, so that in the end it might go well with you. All Christians will find their faith tested. And the Lord sometimes uses painful situations to test it to see if we will rely on Him, whether uh, we will obey Him in that time of testing. In fact, the Bible says in the New Testament through James, the brother of Jesus, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. So, our times of trial and testing are for a purpose. Psalm 119, the psalmist says, Before I was afflicted, I went astray. You know, when everything was going fine, I just forgot God. I did my own thing. But now, after this testing and this trial, I have kept your word. It is good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes or your commandments. And again, in the New Testament, Peter, one of the disciples, says, in this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have, been, you have been distressed by various trials or tests, that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which perishes, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. 
And again, the Apostle Paul in his letter to the Romans says, suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character. When the going gets tough, the tough get going. And character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured out, out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So, friends, we will be tested. In fact, some of you sitting here today are going through a real test. And uh, maybe you haven't shared that test or that trial with anyone. But it's very important to trust God in your trial and your test. So that's the first test, test one, testing us. But now we see how the children of Israel tested God, tested the Lord, and sometimes we are guilty of testing Him as well. So really this was the opportunity for the Israelites to grow in their faith, to, to grow in their trust for the Lord, their God. But instead they became angry. We read there at verses 2 and 3 that the people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. They were challenging Moses, but again, ultimately, they were challenging God himself. This is why Moses said, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? Now, there is an example in the Bible where God gives us permission to test him. Uh, and it's with regard to our tithe, our giving and giving a tenth of what is given to us back to him. Remember in Malachi chapter 3 and verse 10, we read, Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. So God is saying, you give to me what I have commanded you, a tenth of what I've given you. After all, without God, we would be nothing and we would have nothing. And if you do that, I will open the windows of heaven and I will pour down a blessing on you so there would be no more need for anyone and for anything. So God says, test me in this. If you do your bit, I will do my bit. And sadly, we're lacking in this. Um, if our treasurer was coming up to speak, he would be giving us great examples of why we need to give more because we're growing as a church. We have a minister, we have a youth worker, we have an apprentice, we have a, a, a property in the well, we're buying our manse, and, and the thing grows and grows, but the cost grows and grows, and each one of us really should give to the cause of Christ. You know, uh, if we're earning... £2,000 a month, we should be giving £200. If we're earning 1000 we should be giving 100 If we're earning 100 we should be giving 10 At least, it's just the minimum. So, I'm just leaving that with you. You know, as we get God's blessing, God says, give to me, and then I will really pour down blessing. Not that we'll grow from 30 to 70 or whatever it is here today, but we will grow and we will take over sterling. We will change our communities. He who holds sterling holds Scotland. It's strategic. But we have to do our part. 
one example where we can test God, but really it's a sin in every other way if we test God. If we ask Him to prove Himself to us when we know what He's like already. Remember Jesus Himself when He was tested in the wilderness by the devil, He rebuked Satan by quoting the Bible. He said, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. So here God's children were showing a lack of faith in Jehovah Jireh, the Lord who provides. They were walking by sight and not by faith. They doubted God's ability to care for them and to provide for them. So, verse 3, they complained again. In fact, their grumbling and and testified in this situation leading to an argument. And they accused Moses, why do you bring us up out of Egypt? Why did you bring us up out of Egypt? To kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So they failed to see that it was the Lord God, Yahweh, that was leading them and who was providing for them. He was the God who took them out of Egypt, who took them out of slavery, and who promised to take them to the land flowing with milk and honey, the promised land. So they were ungrateful. We can't nullify their need. There was a great need. They were desperate for water. But they had already seen God in action. They had seen how God had sent plagues against their enemy. They had seen the parting of the Red Sea. They had seen the provision of sweet water at Mara. They had seen the quails and the manna sent from, the, from heaven to feed them in the wilderness. Yet, they continued to grumble against God. In fact, it was getting so bad that Moses himself was fearing for his life. Verse 4, what? Shall I do with this people, he says to God? They are almost ready to stone me. So Moses cried out to God, and God answered him, and God gave him instructions. Verse 5, pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. So the staff, of course, was a reminder of all that God had done for them in the past. His deliverance from slavery in Egypt. Uh, Surely the same God could sustain them in their wilderness journey. He would again demonstrate His provision and power. Moses was to go in faith. And he was told what would happen when he would reach his destination if he would go in faith. Behold, I will stand before you on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water shall come out of it, and all the people will drink. So Moses, if you go in faith, you will receive the blessing. So Horeb, Sinai, as we said, uh, it's the same place, Mount Horeb, Mount Sinai. This has been a significant place for Moses in his journey of faith. It is here that Moses attended the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, where God had appeared to him in the burning bush, and where the Lord had promised him way back in Exodus chapter 3, I will be with you. And he was still with Moses. Behold, I will stand before you. God is faithful. If God has said to you at the beginning of your journey, I am with you, he will not abandon you. He is with you today. He will be with you tomorrow. 
He will be with you right to the end of the journey. He'll be with you and He will take you through the water. He will take you through the fire. He will take you through the rivers. He is with you. So Moses obeyed the command. And he and the elders of Israel witnessed another great miracle. And you know, it wasn't just a trickle of water. The water just gushed out from the rock. And that abundance of God's provision is referred to in one of the Psalms that we sing, Psalm 78. He split the rocks in the wilderness and gave them drink abundantly as from the deep. He made streams come out of the rocks and caused water to flow down like rivers. It wasn't just a wee well with a wee bottle and they filled one by one. It just gushed out. There was rivers of water. And you know, it's interesting what the New Testament makes of this incident because the Apostle Paul writes to the church in Corinth and says this, they all drank the same spiritual drink. See, this was a spiritual thing, not just a physical thing. They all drank the same spiritual drink for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them. And listen, and that rock was Christ. They all drank from the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. Spiritual refers to God's provision for them wherever they went. And Paul sees the connection with this and the divine provision of Christ. First Corinthians, we must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents, nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore, let anyone who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Just as Moses struck the rock, so Jesus, our rock, was struck at Calvary when he took our sins away. And just as the water flowed from the rock, Jesus gives living water. Remember the woman of Samaria at the well? Jesus said, everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water I give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And again in John chapter 7, on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the Scripture says, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water, speaking of the Holy Spirit. So all these stories in the Old Testament point to the provision of God. The Lamb that was sacrificed. We see the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The manna from heaven. We see the bread of life. The water in the rock. We see the water of life. And so it goes on. Now we're not told what the reaction of the people was to this amazing miracle of water from this rock. But we are told that Moses called the name of the place Massa and Meribah because of the quarreling of the people, verse 7, of Israel, because they tested the Lord by saying, Is the Lord with us or not? 
You know, they knew the Lord was with them, but now they're saying, is he with us or not? Why is he taking us to this place? Why are we going through this? And friends, we mustn't ever say that. God, are you, are you here or not? He is here. He is with us. Even in the toughest, hardest, darkest, desperate trial that can come on any Christian, God is with you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Masa means testing. And it's because of that attitude of putting the Lord to the test that the name was given. So they doubted the presence of God. You know, God had been with them in the pillar of cloud. By day, he had been with them by the pillar of cloud by night. He had gone before them. He was behind them. He was beside them. But no, is the Lord with us or not? Masa means questioning or quarreling. Testing, quarreling, contention. Friends, let's never be guilty of quarreling, contention, complaining. But instead, respond to this message. Psalm 95, we were singing it. Today, if you hear his voice speaking to you in your situation, don't harden your hearts as they did at Meribah, as you did in Massa in the desert, when your fathers tested and tried me through, though they had seen what I did. So God is saying, look, don't fall into the same trap as those at Meribah and Massa. They tested me. They tried me, even though they had seen what I had done before. So, you know, Moses didn't name the place after the miracle, but after the attitude of the people. A reminder to Israel forever of their appalling behavior before the Lord, daring to ask, is the Lord with us or not? So, testing one, testing two, and finally, and not so long, I don't think, we move to this triumph, this final section in this chapter where we read of the Israelites defeating the great enemy, the Amalekites. And the Amalekites were evil. They were bad. They were into child sacrifice. They were into all sorts of awful things. And here we see God, despite his ch children rebelling and complaining and grumbling, God is going to protect them against their great enemy, Amalek. So finally, point three, triumph. And here we see, despite the unfaithfulness of the Israelites, God remains faithful. Verse 8, then Amalek came and fought with Israel at Rephidim. So Moses is now facing a new challenge. Here he is, the leader of the people, the shepherd of the people, and now he's going to come under attack from an enemy. Now the Amalekites were descended from uh, Esau, and they saw the Israelites' presence as a threat and, of course, we know from the book of Deuteronomy what happened when they came to attack the children of Israel. They actually um, attacked the weak, first of all, those who were on the, the outer uh, edge of the encampment. Deuteronomy 25 tells us, Remember, 
after what the Amalekites did to you along the way when you came out of Egypt. When you were weary and worn out, they met you on your journey and attacked all who were lagging behind. They had no fear of God. Their cruelty was displayed in the way that they targeted the vulnerable. So Moses said to Joshua, Choose for us men and go and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. Now, this is the first mention of Joshua. Just arrives on the scene. But of course, Joshua, after the death of Moses, would become the leader of the Israelites. And here, Moses instructs him to choose men to fight the enemy. But notice, Moses knew that they could not rely on their own strength alone, a lesson that we need to learn ourselves. We cannot face our enemies on our own strength. Yes, we make provision. Yes, we read our Bible. Yes, we pray. We do all of these things. We put on the full armor of God. But we need God in every situation. So Moses knew that they couldn't rely on their own strength alone. The Amalekites were a powerful force to be reckoned with. So he would stand and he would take up this position of authority. But notice, he says, I will have the staff of God in my hand the symbol of God's power, the symbol of God's presence in his hand. And this would result in God's powerful intervention and the enemy of God would be defeated. So Joshua did as Moses said, verses 10 and 11, uh, and fought with Amalek, with Moses, Aaron and Hur, and went up to the top of the hill. Whenever Moses held up his hand with the staff in it, Israel prevailed. Whenever he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. So Moses raises his hand in prayer and it's when he's praying that they're successful. Remember the Billy Graham illustration that Gary Cobb gave us? What happens in the big tent is determined what happens in the little tent. That little tent of prayer behind the big tent of mission, it's what happens in the little tent where people are praying before, during, after the event that determines the victory as souls are one for Christ. And so it was here. And that staff in his hand indicated God's presence with his children, Israel. He alone would overcome their enemy. But you know, Moses' hands grew weary. Verse 12, so they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. And while Aaron, his brother, and her, a prominent elder in Israel, held up his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side, so his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. You know, they came alongside. They helped the leader, the chosen man of God. They upheld him. And friends, this is so important. As we move into enemy territory, as we take over Stirling for Christ and Clachmanninshire and Callender or wherever we're from, and as we send people back who are Christians to, to China and Taiwan and to Spain and all these places when they finish their training here, we need to pray for those who are going into the hard places, the difficult places, those who are on the front line. You need to pray for those who have been chosen to be spiritual leaders for such a time as this. You need to uphold them in prayer. You need to pray continuously because it is the ones on the front line that will face the enemy 
who will battle against weariness and, and the attacks of Satan. Then the Lord said to Moses, verse 14, we're nearly there, write this as a memorial in a book and recite it in the ears of Joshua. Joshua means Yahweh saves, God saves, that I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. Again, in Deuteronomy, we read, when the Lord your God gives you rest from all your enemies around you in the land he has given you to possess as an inheritance, you shall blot out the name of Amalek from under heaven. Do not forget, God wanted rid of this evil, wanted rid of this awful people who were into such awful sin and darkness. And Moses built an altar, and he called the name of it, The Lord is my banner. A hand upon the throne of the Lord. The Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. Now, as the hand of Amalek was raised against the throne of God, the Lord pronounces judgment on them. He'd be at war with them from generation to generation until eventually they would be blotted from under the face of the earth, out from under heaven. Saul was asked to do it. Read it for yourselves. First Samuel 15. He failed to do it. He said, oh, we'll just leave the remnant. They'll be fine. And they grew again. David, in 1 Samuel 30, David struck them down from twilight until the evening of the next day, and not a man of them escaped. Is this the end of them? Dot, 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 except 400 young men who mounted camels and fled. It's not until 1 Chronicles chapter 4, verse 43, that the tribe of Zimeon finally, well, as, as finally as we can see, blotted out that remnant. They killed the remaining Amalekites who had escaped. Moses raised up a banner. Psalm 60. You have set up a banner for those who fear you that they may flee to it. Isaiah 11.10. In that day, the root of Jesse, Jesus, will stand as a banner for the peoples. The nations will rally to him and his resting, will, his resting place will be glorious. Psalm 20, may we shout for joy over your salvation and in the name of our God set up our banners. We are an army on the march. We are going to plunder enemy territory the enemy will de be defeated. And one day our captain, Jesus, will return. Do you believe that? And we will dwell in his presence forever. And he will bring us into his banqueting house. And his banner <laughs> over us is love. He has committed himself to us. Then I heard, Revelation 19, what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, and like the sound of mighty pearls of thunder, crying out, 
What did they cry? Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the mighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come. And his bride has made herself ready. Us, his church. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. You are invited. He can defeat all your enemies. He can bring you to the place he has prepared for you. No more sin, no more suffering, no more sadness, no more sickness, no more of all that stuff. But you need to sign up. And you need to sign up today. And you need to be not a part-time dad's army kind of person. <laughs> but you need to be fully trained, fully equipped, fully fit. Because a battle is huge. The enemy is great. He is mighty, but our God is almighty. He is powerful. Our God is all-powerful. And he wants us all to come under his protection, to come under his banner, which is love. He came to save you, to defeat your enemy, death, the devil, the darkness. But you must sign up today. You must say, yes, I'm in. I'm in this army. Forgive my sin, Lord. Forgive my grumbling. Forgive my complaint. Forgive my questionings against you. I'm in, and I'm in for good. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that you would really bring us all into that place of trusting in you, seeing that you are with us, and if you are with us, who can stand against us? Because with you, we have a majority. So by faith, we see the hand of God, and we pray today that the church would rise to the challenge that you have set before us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We pray now for the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, resting and remaining with us all, now and forevermore. Amen. Just be seated, be silent, and make your covenant commitment to God as you pray silently just for a moment. Uh, sign up to His army, His protection, His blessing, His promises, and His power and His peace. Yes, Lord, thank you for hearing these prayers offered now. Bless our time of fellowship, food provided here and in the well. And we ask all things in Jesus' name.